We meet today in Psalm chapter 11 and chapter 12. We're looking at the testing of the righteous. Psalm 11 is a wonderful little psalm of David ascribed to the chief musician. We are not told actually under what circumstances this psalm was written, but obviously it came out of the persecution and the trials in the life of David. J.J. Stewart Perron made a very remarkable statement commenting on this wonderful psalm. Even though this man was a liberal, here is one point where he made an accurate statement. Here is the statement. The singer is in danger of his life, and timorous and faint-hearted counselors would fain persuade him to seek safety in flight. But full of unshaken faith in God, he rejects their counsel, believing that Jehovah, the righteous king, though he tries his servants, does not forsake them. Not the righteous, but the wicked, have need to fear. The psalm is so short and so general in its character that it is not easy to say to what circumstances in David's life it should be referred. The choice seems, however, to lie between his persecution by Saul and the rebellion of his son Absalom. Dilich decides, for the last he thinks the counsel, flee to your mountain, comes from the mouth of friends who are anxious to persuade the king to betake himself as he had before done when haunted by Saul to the rocks of the wild gods. It is in favor to some extent of this view that the expression in verse 3, when the foundations are destroyed, points to a time when lawful authority was subverted. And this comes from Stuart Perron's book, the book of Psalms, and page 166. This is very accurate. I think this psalm has reference to the time David was fleeing, actually, from his son Absalom. Here is another expression from the heart of this great king. Psalm 11, verse 1. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to the mountains? Now, there is advice here. Modern psychologists will give you the same kind of advice. They will tell you that what you need to do is to get away from your problems. Go off somewhere. What you need is a rest. Flee from your present circumstances as a bird to the mountain. My friend, getting away from it all does not solve a thing. No matter where you go, you are going to have to lug yourself along. You can never run away from yourself. How true that is. People would tell David, flee as a bird to your mountain. But that was not the way to solve his problems. In our mechanical society, and very monotonous culture, by the way, it is very tiring to sit in an automobile for seven hours or for a number of hours on a highway driving to some place. Flying makes it even worse. Flying in an airplane 
is a wonderful experience. But after you have been across the country and around the world, flying also gets monotonous. A long journey becomes very difficult. Twelve hours of air flight is not easy. In any case, when you are flying, you are way up in the air where there is not so much to see except clouds underneath you. Actually, I think it is a good thing for a person to get away, well, maybe from the busy life and the noise of the city and the traffic that you find in the city to find a restful place to relax. But if you are trying to run away from your problems or from some situation that you ought to face, this is not good advice. You should not run away because of fear. Many who are trying to run away, they find that the same things they are running away from, they catch up with them because the problems are not around you. The problems are in you. Many people who were counseling David to run away and to get out of the country were afraid of his life because Absalom, his son, was trying to kill him and their advice was not the right one. Psalm 11 verse 2 For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. Those who were following Absalom were willing to kill David if they had the opportunity. There was great bitterness on both sides. When Absalom came in battle against his father, David did not leave the land. David retreated in order to investigate and then come against his son with his army. David gave specific instructions to his three generals, his three captains. Remember my boy Absalom and don't harm him. I want him safe. Absalom made a big mistake in fighting his father and the veterans who were with him. Because David was a seasoned warrior and he knew all the tricks of the trade, by the way. He knew how to fight in the woods and in the mountains. Absalom and his men were not as experienced and they lost the battle. Not only was there bitterness on Absalom's side, it was also on David's side. Although not in David's heart, but Joab, one of David's captains, when he had the opportunity... He put the spear through the boy and killed Absalom. There was bitterness on both sides. Now, the death of his son broke David's heart. I don't think he ever recovered from that heartbreak. When Absalom tried to take over, David fled from Jerusalem. Law and order had disappeared. No longer was there worship of the living and true God. There was chaos. And so the next statement makes sense. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Psalm 11 verse 3. This is still a good question to ask. Today the authority of the word of God is being challenged on every side. What can the righteous do? If we remove the word of God, which is the foundation, what should the righteous do? 
And my friend, whenever we remove the authority of the word of God and even the absolute standards set by the word of God, we are actually left with nothing. But what should the righteous do? Listen to the psalmist. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. Psalm 11 verse 4. Now, what does this mean? God is watching us today. He is testing us. And the only place we can turn is to him. When the foundations are taken out from under us, the righteous ones, the, what remains for us is only God. We must turn to God and cling to him. He is our only resource and recourse. Abraham reached that place. When it says that Abraham believed God, it means that Abraham threw his arms around God and just held on. He believed God. And these are the days when we can believe God and hold on to him. How wonderful is our God who is willing to say, when you see that your foundations are being shaken, hold on to me. Hold on to me. That invitation continues to be stretched out and extended to everyone in the world, whoever will. For God so loved the world, so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever will. Psalm 11, verse 5. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Now, God knows those who belong to him. He knows who are his own, and he will test his children. He tests me, and he may be testing you. And that doesn't mean he hates us. No, no, no. This does not show his displeasure of us. No, he is testing us for our own good and for his glory. But the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. If you think God is just lovey-dovey, you had better read this psalm and some of the other psalms again and see that God will deal with those who love violence. In fact, the Bible says he hates them. God hates the wicked who hold on to their wickedness. I don't think God loves the devil. Because the devil likes to keep on doing the evil thing. So God hates him. And he hates those who have no intention of turning to God. Frankly, I do not like uh, that distinction that we sometimes hear. God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin that the sinner commits. God has loved you so much that he has given his son to die for you. But if you persist and insist that you go and live your life in sin, my friend, you are the enemy of God and God hates you. And God is your enemy. God wants to save you and he will save you if you will turn to him and forsake your iniquity, forsake your evil ways. Until then, may I say that God is your enemy. If you are not intending to repent, 
God is not a lovey-dovey, sentimental old man. No. He may be our father, but he's not our old man. We will give an account to him. He will judge us. And the psalmist is making it very clear. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Psalm 11 verse 6. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. Here comes that announcement, the announcement of his judgment. He will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. The cup of iniquity is filling up today, my friend. And God is allowing it to fill up. He is doing nothing to hinder it. The wicked are prospering, by the way. He makes it rain on the unjust as well as on the just. In fact, it looks to me like they are even getting more rain than anybody else. This is their day. And God is allowing their cup to fill up. But when that cup is filled, then it will cause even a greater fire. Psalm 11 verse 7, For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. You see, the Lord God loves righteousness. In time of trouble, when the foundations are being shaken or the foundations are removed, we are to look from earth to heaven. The upright will behold his face. And what a wonderful picture that is given. What is the upright's resource and recourse is to look up to God. Psalm 12 gives us the godly in the midst of godlessness, especially during the Great Tribulation. Prophetically speaking, Psalm 12 is like the preceding ones. It refers ultimately in its final fulfillment to the days of the tribulation, which will come upon Israel's godly remnant, also upon godly Gentiles in that day. In the opening verses, we find a description of the apostasy in those days. You see, there is to be an apostasy in Israel as well as in the church. Psalm 12 verse 1 tells us, Help, Lord! For the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Isn't this very interesting? It's very easy to develop an Elijah complex today and say, I'm the only one who is left. I'm the only one standing for God today. Many people develop that complex. It is actually not an accurate one, but it can happen when you see godlessness on every side. And when the psalmist is seeing godlessness on every side, he is making this plea, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. What pessimism! Psalm 12, verse 2. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and double heart, they speak. Now, this is a day when Christians need to speak the truth. That is, we should not say one thing to one man's face and another thing when that person's back is on us. 
that is called double talk. It is being two-faced. Our word should be our bond. We must speak one thing today and speak the same thing tomorrow. What we are should be what we get. What we are should be what people get. Now here is Psalm 12, verse 3 and verse 4. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. Who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, with our lips, our lips are our own, who is Lord over us. You see, the psalmist goes after the proud in this psalm and he is really confronting them. They say, we are going to say what we please. And that is a description of apostasy. We are seeing that apostasy in the church uh, today. And it is even noted by pride like this. Jude predicted the coming apostasy in Jude 16 when he said, These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. You see, in other words, those in apostasy are a bunch of liars. They don't care what they say. Now we see those who are God's people. How will God's people make a difference? Psalm 12, verse 5. For the oppression of the poor, for the singing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. David is saying here, God says, I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. I will hide him in the clefts of the rocks. I will put him in a place of safety. What will happen to God's people? God will protect them even in that time of great tribulation. God will protect his own. He knows those who belong to him. Psalm 12 verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You see, now the wicked boast and they use flattery. You cannot believe what they say, but the words of the Lord, on the contrary, are pure. That is one reason why we need to spend more time in the word of God. The word of God is the fortress into which God wants to put us. We can be hidden. We can be protected in the purity and assurance of the word of God. Here is Psalm 12, verse 7 to verse 8. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from their generation forever. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Now, this is a description of a time we are living, aren't we? We are living in a day like this, and it will be especially true during the great time of the great tribulation. Listen to the prophet Isaiah when he says, Hear the word of the Lord. You who tremble at his word, your brethren, 
who hated you, who cast you out of, out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy, but they shall be ashamed. This is from Isaiah 66, verse 5. Now, this is a wonderful picture given to us, which describes the temple worship in Jerusalem at the end of the age. And that is a wonderful prospect as well. My friend, the Lord Jesus said in his day, when the enemy came to arrest him, this is your hour and the power of darkness. Luke 22 verse 53. We go through times when the enemy has the upper hand in life, but God won't let something happen to his own unless it will accomplish some worthwhile purpose in their hearts and in their lives. My brother, my sister, take heart. God is working. Even though this may be the hour of the enemy, the hour of the enemy and the power of darkness, God is in control. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to The Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for, and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's The Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa.